All right, everybody. Glad you guys are here. So we're going to finish up these questions from the last time we had a Q&A. And so like last time as well, um, if any of you leaders also have input, I welcome that. And um, if there's follow-up questions based upon these questions that you guys submitted that last time, just ask that and we'll try to address it. We're going to try to answer these questions uh, with God's Word because we believe that God's Word is sufficient for everything. It teaches us all that we need to know, um, whether if not directly, we can get to it from the word of the Lord. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time, and then we'll get to these questions. And if we have more leftover still, like after about a half an hour or so, then um, maybe we'll have to do it again, maybe next month or sometime soon. But let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would remind us how much it is that we need you and depend upon you for all things. Lord, there's not a, a second that goes by of the day in which you are not upholding this whole universe and including our very lives. And so we ask that you would humble us and that you would teach us to be satisfied in you, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we pray that you would impart to us this evening wisdom, that we may think rightly about this world, especially because of what we see going on in our world and so many professing believers acting as if their worldview is formed out of something other than your word. Help us to have a, a view of this world, a view of your creation that is instructed by and is informed by the sufficiency of your holy word. We thank you for saving your word for us. So please give us understanding in it tonight. Help us to remember passages as we think of these questions here and let us uh, honor and glorify your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. So I'll, maybe I'll, we'll do this one first because it's right on the top and he's not here for me to hear anyways, but this one says, is moving to Arizona a sin? <laughs> so this was from Sam, I think, who's in Arizona. He must be or somebody did it. Maybe Terry. No, Terry wasn't. Yeah. Um, it's kind of an innocent question, like a joke question, but I mean, maybe it could be a sin. <laughs> hey, it depends on your reasoning, right? Yeah, it depends upon your motive, right? If I remember listening to... It depends on if you're going to behave, yeah, behave yourself when you get there, sure. I remember hearing John MacArthur um, ask, like, like, is it... Well, this is a little bit different, but it was, it was like, how do you determine the will of God? And he was like, well, he had offers to go preach in Arizona, and they would have paid him more. And it would have been nothing not sinful for him to go to Arizona for that. So in that regard, it's not a sin for him to move to Arizona. But he didn't want to. He wanted to stay at Grace Community Church. He liked it. And so what's the will of the Lord? You know, it's, it's, what, you, it's what you want to do. It's what you desire to do in so much as you're not living in sin. Because if you're living in sin, you can't know what the um, will of the Lord is. So if we think of like Sam's question, is it a sin to move to Arizona? Well, you know, is he living a holy life? Is he? He's not here right now. This is kind of awkward. But let's think of this. Let's think of your general. What if you want to move? Well, let's make it more general. Forget Sam. Yeah, there. I hope so. Yeah, that would be nice. Let's say you want to move to. You want to go to college in New York, and how do you know if it's a sin to do that or not? Or if it, is it? Is it? <laughs> let's say you want to go to college in Tennessee. All right. Okay, you want to go to college? Is it a sin to do that to move to there? Well, 
if you're moving there, yeah, and it's outside and you're living outside of God's will, well, maybe this very well could be. You know, it could be a wrong move at least. It could, in other words, if we're defining sin as not doing what is pleasing to God, then in that regard, it could be because you're moving out there specifically to like enjoy a lifestyle that would not give God glory. But I mean, you could do that here in California too. So anyways, enough about that goofy question. That was a, a slow start. Let's get to the more real questions. How will we know when we are in the last days? So the last days is a phrase talked about in Scripture. And it's kind of something that's, that I think our generation is a little confused on, or maybe there's a lot of misconceptions that are put forth about it. Um, some people, especially there's a view called dispensational premillennialism, and it's a way of looking at the Bible. And typically, somebody who's a dispensational premillennial, premillennial means that Christ is going to return before the millennium, the millennium being this thousand-year period of which Christ is reigning. And premillennials say that Christ will return and then usher in that age. Dispensational premillennials believe that there's two separate peoples of God. There's the people in the Old Testament, is the nation of Israel, and, the, and in the church in the New Testament era. And they specifically um, would teach that the last days, and I guess even regular premillennials, will say that those last days are the period of time right before Jesus is going to return and usher in the millennium. But um, the Bible, I think, teaches something a little bit different than that. It teaches that the last days are, is the period of time that we are presently in. The last days are, the, are this, this period of which we now are living in. And I wish right now, I, I'm not thinking of a specific text. I wish I was. Maybe um, if you have your phone, Google, you know, Google la- the last days and then Bible. And... The la- you'll see like there's two ages in the Bible. There's the present evil age, and there's the age to come. And I was thinking the first chapter of Hebrews. Like, that's the last a long ago. Okay, yeah. Hebrews, long, 1, 1 through 1, 2. Let's take a verse here. Yep. Let's look there. Thanks, Clint. Let's Yeah, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, and then it goes on to talk about Christ, about being the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. Uh, And there's other, there's many other passages too, which I wish I should have, um, which I'm blanking on at the moment. But the idea that, there's only two ages in the Bible. There's the present evil age, this age that we now live in, and then the age to come, which is the glorification, when we have new bodies and the heavens and the earth are renewed. So this idea that you know, the last days is far off is kind of misleading because then it, you know, it makes you maybe not live with a sense of urgency. Like, well, you know, right now it's not going to be so bad. Christ isn't going to return Right now, we don't know when he is. Um, but really, the scriptures kind of leave us hanging at this, this, with this tension that we're living in a present evil age, and this is the last days, the last days being that time between Jesus' first and second coming. Yeah, Eileen? So we should also 
guess the motivation for why you're asking that. Because the other thing is you may think you can slide until the last days and you think that, oh, it's I'm okay, but in the last days it's going to get, you know, really important that I, you know, follow God and, and um, pursue righteousness. So you have you have to be really careful about becoming obsessed with what what timeline we're in in God's time. Because in reality we should God put us in this time, and we should be living um, to glorify God in the time he put us in, whether it's the last days or the, you know, whether it's two days before Jesus comes or a thousand years before Jesus comes. Um, it shouldn't affect our lives. But I Amen. Think people all want to know. It's, it's like a human curiosity to want to know when the end is, you know, what's, what's going to happen at the end of the movie, what's going to happen with the election, what's going to happen with everything. You know, so um, so I think it, it matters what the motivation for that is. Is it so that you can live differently now and, and like get prepared for last days? Or is it so that... Um, That's a good point. Say, yeah, so do you understand what Eileen's saying? That if you're wondering when is the last days because you want to just live wildly and not really be committed and devoted to Christ, now you're, you're really being dangerous with your soul. Because the last days, I think it was now too. I, was, I thought I was, found another passage that I was thinking of in Second Peter three when he talks about um, what types of uh, false teachers will be around. He says, and this is chapter three, verse two says that you should remember the predictions of the holy apostles and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So you know, again, do we have people who deny Christ's second coming today? They're, they've been denying that since he ascended. So many, many passages uh, was, you know, that we could turn to actually. So I think with our terminology, I mm-hmm. think Yeah. Yeah. So I think people want to know when the last days are because they think it's going to be short, but it doesn't say it's going to be short. Not at all. The last days has been going on for two thousand ish years, as since we're if we're keeping count, right? Right. Yeah. What it's talking about is it's the last days because everything has been fulfilled in. God's covenant promises, except for the glorification of His people, right? Every when Jesus said that He'd come back soon, right? So sin for God is different than sin for man. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't really hear the first answer. Is the last days? Mm-hmm. Is it you say it always refers to? It's always after Jesus's first ascension. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's the time period in between when Christ ascended into heaven and to when he comes again. It's always used in that sense. I believe so, yeah. I believe it's always used in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That was helpful. Thanks, Eileen. Um, was it 
wrong, parentheses, sin, for the Hebrew midwives to lie about the babies they didn't kill or for Rahab to lie about the spies? Is it okay to sin so as to not commit a greater sin? Okay, so it's a good question. Uh, so you're not familiar with those stories, right? In Genesis, the Egyptians were unhappy with the Israelites, and so they were having the, the midwives kill the babies the, um, that were born, the boys especially. And there's this interesting, um, you know, foreshadowing of what would happen with Christ and his birth at that point as well, too. And then also the spies were sent to the land, to Canaan, and Rahab, this uh, woman who was a Canaanite, a prostitute, ended up hiding the spies when they found out the spies were in the land. And so the Hebrew midwives lied about killing the babies. Um, they hid them away. And Rahab lied, saying that she didn't know where the spies were. So a couple of things I think about this question. First of all, it's good to maybe acknowledge weights of sin because not all sins are necessarily, not all sins are equal. Um, there's two ways, a couple ways to think about this. It is true that, you know, a murder and a lie, let's say you only did one of those things, you never did anything else, other other sins. One person lied, the other person murdered, but you did no other sins. Well, both of those sins equally earn you damnation, death, eternal death. Uh, you would be under the judgment of God. I mean, first off, considering you're born with Adam's sin, every person is, but then you do your own sin as well, too. The book of James also tells us that when you're guilty of one sin, you're guilty of all the sins of the law. You're guilty of breaking all of the law. But at the same time, there are different weights to sin. Not every sin is as bad as every sin. So, like, for example, um, in the New Testament, Jesus is teaching, and he tells the crowd and his disciples that if anyone leads a child of like a, a, a one of his a child away and cause a child one of his children to sin not his physical children obviously um, you know those have faith and causes them to sin then it would be better if a millstone was hung around his neck and he was tossed into the ocean so he doesn't say that about someone who tells a lie right he's it's in the context of someone who's leading someone astray and so there are there is different weights of sin certainly there's different weights of sin and punishments for it even in a society and that's kind of i think where this question really finds its its answer um there's maybe another consideration too in the sense that like maybe a common consideration would be that well yes it's okay to lie because it's preserving life and so if we were for recognizing weights of sin well it's worse to kill than it is to lie and so in that sense, we would maybe go that way as well, as well too. But I think even the, it goes back to just the, the understanding the law properly. So every society has laws. Egypt had laws. Uh, Canaan had laws, right? This woman had to obey, otherwise she was going to be in trouble. Uh, the Egyptian Hebrew, Hebrew midwives had to obey, otherwise they probably would have been killed themselves. But they lied to get out of punishment for themselves. And so... Every nation, every society has laws because we are made in the image of God. We all have a conscience. Everyone understands there is right and there is wrong. And societies make up laws, and sometimes they get them wrong. Um, an example for us maybe today would be like 
here in, in the United States, we condone abortion and that would be a law that is wrong for us. And so these laws, no matter what you, whether this might be a little confusing, these laws are called positive laws. It means that there are laws that, that are created that can be changed. Um, for example, you know, the United States didn't used to have, it used to be illegal to have an abortion in the United States. But it became, it's changed, it's a positive law, it, it could change, it's positive, doesn't necessarily mean good at all, it just means that it can be changed, it can be removed, it can be added. That's all positive law is. And so when we think about all laws, all positive laws, even the nation of Israel had many positive laws. If you look back into the Old Covenant, and you see there's like a law to where you can't, um, you know, mix two different types of fabric, or you can't, or how about circumcision? Do we have to get circumcision? Do males get circumcised today as part of the Christian faith? No, right? That's a positive law. It changed. It's no longer applicable to God's people. And so moral laws, though, are eternal. The moral laws, the Ten Commandments, all positive laws, whether in some way or regard, they, are, they come from the moral law, either perversions of it or from right applications of it. So the United States today... If you steal something, you'll, you'll be in trouble, right? It depends. I mean, we're getting kind of squishy on that, right? Now, but, yeah, like now I think like if you steal in Oakland, if you're, depends like the amount. I think if you steal under $1,000 worth, then you don't really get in trouble. It's really bizarre, yeah. It's, so, but before this world became super progressive and strange and idiotic, you know, if you went and you stole a car, it's still, let's say you steal a car, you'll go to jail. Right? That, that's what will happen. That's a, unless you don't get caught. Unless you don't get caught, yeah. That's a positive law that America has made that's based off of the moral law. <laughs> but we do have, but sometimes states and places of power make positive laws that are bad. So, for example, um, Egypt made a positive law to kill all the male Hebrew children. Or Egypt yeah, made a positive law to kill all the male Hebrew children. Well, because that positive law goes against God's law, which says you shall not kill, there is no problem for them to violate it by lying. Because they're not violating God's law at all. Even in lying, they're not violating God's law at all because they're violating a positive law from a nation that was a corruption of God's moral law. That's a good example, yeah. So churches were meeting even though the state was saying you can't meet. And they were trying to prevent us from worship. Well, that's a positive law from the state that is a, and, and they want to say they had a good motive, right? That they were trying to keep us safe. But in reality, it seems like that's not their decision to make. And so we met and we weren't, diso- we weren't violating Romans 13 in doing that, which is that you have to submit to your, the government leaders because the government had formed a positive law that was actually in violation of God's moral law, which God's moral law tells us that we should worship him, right? Those first four commandments especially. Okay, so that's why I would say it's okay. It was okay. It was not a sin for them to hide the spies or to not kill those things because they weren't violating God's law and telling a lie. They were being faithful to God's law in not honoring this bad law from these societies. Does that make sense? Okay. So in that same instance that we're talking about, sure. Meeting, say the government asks, "Hey, are you meeting?" And we lied about it. 
I think so. And actually, our, our uh, legal counsel, so did you guys hear Clint? He said that if the government asks you, are you meeting, and you said you say no to it, would you be sinning for doing that? I don't think so. Our, even our legal counsel, which you know, is a Christian um, lawyer, said that we didn't have to tell them anything. That actually, so the United States was... Uh, I mean, it's pretty much telling them that you're meeting. Yeah, right. So the so the founders of our nation set us up so that we can be protected from you know overreach of governments. So. By the by that same regard, then. Then, I mean, it is lying, but that lying is not a sin. That's the, that's the point. Yeah. But we could still have been punished, and we would have taken the punishment because we knew we were breaking the state's law. Right. We well, if you think of it the same thing like Mo, the, mid, the midwives that Moses had, they were still lying when they said, oh, no, that the, the, that the midwives, that the babies are being born without our help. That was a lie, and if they got found out for lying, they would have been... They would have been punished by it. God does set up governments to bring the sword, but their line wasn't a sin. Just like in the same regard, our line wouldn't be a sin, even if we got caught still. We'd still have to suffer punishment because we were caught by an, a, an, a wicked government, but it wouldn't be sin in God's eyes to lie about this because we're not violating the moral law. We're violating an immoral law that's a corruption of God's moral law. That was placed by a state. That's how I would make that makes sense. Good question, you guys. Um, moving on, do you have to be baptized to be a church member? So the answer to that is, is yes. Um, that's historically how it's been known and taught. If you think about Acts chapter 2, um, Peter tells them you know, to repent and to be baptized and that you'll be saved. And then we read that, and 3,000 were added that day. Well, added to what? Added to the church member roster. There, there's a keeping of track of people. And so these two things are closely related because what happens in baptism is it's a, it's a picture of what God has done to you. It's a picture of the fact that God has washed you clean of your sins and you have been identified with Jesus in his Life and his death and his resurrection, right? So you go under the water, you're like you're above the water, you go down like when Jesus was buried, you come up as in, out of the water like Jesus' resurrection. And when you become saved, you become part of the church. When, you're the, when you really are saved, you're part of the universal church, we call it sometimes. The number of believers that has always existed. You know, there's people that are part of that church in heaven right now, in a disembodied state, waiting for their eternal body when Christ comes again. There's people that are part of this, this group that have yet to be saved even. But it's the, every true believer is the universal church all across the world. But So you don't have to be baptized in water to be a part of that group. That just happens because you're saved, you're born again. But to, be baptized, to have a church membership, a local church membership, you do have to be baptized before that because that's... How you, that's the sign that you're part of the covenant community. That, that baptism tells that community that you are believing in Christ, that you're trusting in Christ, as a Baptist at least, 
right? Uh, Presbyterians believe a little bit different than that, but they still say that you're part of the community, and you're not part of the community until you're baptized. So you're baptized, and you, and you become, and you're testifying to the group that you're a member, and that means that you're going to use your spiritual gifts to bless those in the congregation as well, and that they're going to use theirs to bless you, and you live in this mutual relationship where you build each other up, and you, um, you, the church grows in love, right? You think of Ephesians 4. It speaks about how we are members one of another, and that baptism is that first act that you do before you become a member. There's no membership really no true membership without it because that's how the Lord instituted it. Make sense? Good? Any follow-up? There's accountability built into it as well. And so that, you know, if you then are, live a life of sin and unrepentant sin or you just disappear, well then the elders of the church and the church body itself have the responsibility to, you know, encourage you to turn away from those things and come back and to be part of the church. Those things exist together. Okay. Uh, where do animals go? The Bible doesn't say, like, if they go to heaven or hell. Um, but we do know there's animals in heaven. I don't know if there's any animals in hell. I know I have a good friend. Seagulls, seagulls and flies, gnats. No, all of God's all of God's creation is good, but I do have you know a lot of friends who would say even like I think smart guys pastors say that. You know, their dog or whatever is in heaven. Yeah, I remember Pastor Larry, Larry saying no. That their dogs would be in heaven or just any animal? Yeah. The, the reality is, is you just, nobody can say with 100% certainty yes or no, right? We should be humble to admit that we can't say with 100% certainty yes or no. There's good reasons to maybe believe no. I mean, does your, is your dog saved by the blood of Christ? Well, no, because your dog isn't believing and repenting, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not there. Right, yeah. So it's best to not be dogmatic. I plan on having a pet T-Rex. That is my, that is my goal. Chomper. Pretty good, actually. Not Barney, no. The, the main concern that you should have, though, is not, you know, where is your pet going, is your pet going to be? There? It should be about, what about your soul? Yeah, where are you, where am I going? You know, that. Make sure you're there with your pet. <laughs> exactly. Oh, this is a related question, and I'm assuming it's from Sam, because it has a Among Us guy on it. Sam Neves, did God make every animal for individual reasons? Yeah, I think so too, right? I mean, we we don't know a whole lot about the plan of God, the mind of God when it comes to creation, but we can't say that He made all things for His glory, right? 
And so, so all animals, I just think of the, the diversity of God's creation. It testifies to God's wisdom and his beauty and the majesty of his plan. Definitely for individual reasons. I mean, he didn't make the, the lion to be red by man. He made the horse to be and the, uh, I guess, yeah, just the horse, the camel, I suppose, other animals as well, too. Donkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mustafa. That's the big dog. Yeah, so definitely God made them for individual reasons, all for his glory, for his purposes. Okay. Well, this is a question that we've kind of already answered. We're moving through these at a pretty fast speed. When did we start? 7.30? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's keep going. So we have four more. So we'll, we'll go faster. When is it appropriate to go against the government? We just kind of talked about that, right? When the government institutes positive laws that are actually contradicting the moral law of God. That's the right time to have civil disobedience. There are other times when, you know, you have to submit. But when it comes to unjust laws that are especially that are harm you and harm your family, it, it, it can be appropriate. And it just depends wisdom for the specific matter. Okay. Is Melchizedek a shadow of Christ or a pre-incarnate Christ? It's a pretty good question. Whoever wrote it, though, spelled Melchizedek wrong and incarnate. And incarnate wrong. It's, it's, yeah. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to say it. So. I mean, this handsome devil that... Melchizedek <laughs> is a king, the king of Salem, and we meet him first in Genesis, and then the letter to the Hebrews talks about him as well too, about him being a type of Christ specifically there. And so it's hard to say, is he a pre-incarnate Christ? In other words, a, an instance when the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who we know is Jesus, the Messiah, that he came and he was on earth, it for a purpose of, you know, furthering along his, the plan of redemption? The answer, I think, to this is kind of just yes to both of them. Because we don't know anything about, like he, Hebrews goes into this, like we don't know anything about his origins, about where he comes from or anything like that, and, and that's inspired scripture. And so my, I don't want to be dogmatic about it, but because different commentaries, if you read about it, they have different views. Some people say that he was an actual literal king in the area. But the letter to the Hebrews kind of makes that seem to not be true to me. So I think he's both, yes, a pre-incarnate Christ and a shadow of Christ, meaning that it was, you know, for Abraham, it was this one that Abraham paid tithes to, that he was greater than Abraham. He's, his name means king of peace. Christ is the prince of peace. I think he was pointing for so I think, the answer would be yes to both. Good question. Whoever Good question. Whoever asked that one, yeah, excellent. 
I'm assuming, right, yeah. Well, yeah. Surprise he didn't use his Trump voice to congratulate. Very good the, there it goes. <laughs> we won't need that question for much longer, friends. <laughs> that, that voice. What is the weirdest idol recorded in the Bible? What is the weirdest idol recorded in the Bible? Uh, all of them. So I've heard, this is true, and I'm not 100% sure about this. I've heard that the, um, man, I don't know if it's the Astra, I don't know if it's the Astra poles. Or if it's something else. But remember the story where the Philistines... Yeah, let's go with that one. I say it so not the Asher Bowls. The Philistines have captured the ark. Yes. And they put the ark in with their god in their temple. And, and it keeps falling. I think it was Dag, Dagon or something yeah. is the name. Dagon. 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 Keeps, Dagon. keeps falling down. So they're like, okay, well, we got to get rid of, you know, this ark and send it's it back. It falls like right in front of... Yeah, falls on space towards. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's that one, and or it might be the Astropole, but I think it's actually a. A law. A. Well. Just it's a body part. <laughs> I don't understand. You got to be more specific. <laughs> I believe it's representative of a male body part. <laughs> like that females elbow. don't. That females don't have. Okay. That's oh. <laughs> and. So that would be a really weird one. Or maybe we could say the, the weirdest one is the golden calf, too. That one is kind of weird if you think about it because, like, Israel was just let out of the Exodus by God, and then here's Aaron, the, the high priest, and he says, here's your God who led you out of Egypt, and it's golden calf. And it's like, obviously, it wasn't a golden, it wasn't a calf. It wasn't the cow. It was Yahweh. That was the stupidest one. Well, I, it's got to be up there. Well, I don't know. Isaiah would have... Well, all, all of them are stupid, according yeah. to Isaiah, right? Was there like a doorknob job? I don't think so. Okay, we're going to move on to this one last question. It's a good one. How do I know if I'm one of the elect? All you have to do is you look at your back in a mirror, and you see the big E on it. <laughs> Wait, you see? How do you know if you're one of the elect, right? The elect, meaning those that God elected in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4, that you were chosen in Him. Before the foundation of the world, you were predestined in love for the spirit of adoption. How do you know you're one of the elect? Well, you, you don't have a big E written on your back. You, you look exactly just like everybody else. I mean, you look like yourself, but you're just an, a normal-looking human being for most of you. Some of you are abnormal. But the way that you know you're elect, I think, is a lot easier than, than it needs, than most people make it out to be. There's a lot of people I know stress over this, and they, and they deny Reformed theology, because like, and they, they think it's not comforting. Like, how can I know if I'm elect? Well, how do I, you know, you, you struggle with belief. And I think the answer is pretty simple. If you have your Bible, you could turn to John 6, or no, John 10. It's one of those two. I'll find it right now. You said John 6? John 10. 
John 6 or John 10? I'm looking at John 10 right now. John 10. I think it's pretty easy. John 10, you can start like around verse 15. Because I understand like if God, you know, there's this idea that people have, well, if God predestines, well then... What is it? How does it matter? Like, how do I know if I'm going to be saved? If I'm predestined, then I am. If I'm not, then I'm not. And then you have like this no hope. Well, what is that? That's a tough place to be in. We don't, you know, want you to be in a place like that. We want you to have assurance of your faith. And there's a number of things we could say if we're thinking of assurance, right? Because that's what really, if you're doubting, if you're elect, that means you're lacking assurance that you're saved. And the doctrine of election should help you with your assurance of your salvation. So this is the simplest way, the easiest way, I think. Rather than like looking at your, trying to look at your life to see if you have enough good works, because that's not what you want to do. Yeah, your works do. Your works don't do anything, but they but they do contribute to your assurance. But it could be that it's a, it could contribute to a false assurance, right? Because Jesus says, you know, he'll say that there'll be people that show up and say, "Lord, Lord, we casted out demons, we did all these things in your name," and he'll say, "Depart from me, I never knew you." Right, because they didn't do them in faith. So, they weren't really probably doing it. So, John 10, it says 15, we'll start at 15. It says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, the sheep being the elect, right? That's who he's speaking of here. Because Jesus, we understand that he didn't die for everybody. If he died for everyone, then everyone would be saved. So he lays his life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So Jesus' sheep, which not everybody is a sheep, right? They listen to his voice. What does it mean to be elect? It means that you hear the voice of Christ. Now, do I mean like an audible voice? No. Not at all. Do you, do you desire, do you believe what the Bible says? Like, do you really believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that you need him because his righteousness is the only thing that can make it so that you're redeemed, that his life is the only way that your life can be forgiven for, for your sins? That's what it means to hear Jesus' voice. Do you desire Jesus? Do you want to be with him? Do you want to go to heaven just because you think it's going to be this nice place without any problems? And, I mean, it is going to be that. But is your goal really to be there so you can be with the one who saved you? Like, do you love Jesus? That's how you can know if you're elect. If you, if you don't really, then, then, maybe, then maybe at that point you could doubt your election. But if you truly love God, you hear his voice means you want to be obedient. You don't want to sin, even though you do sin. And when you do sin, you feel bad about that. And so you repent because you have the Holy Spirit living in you and he's going to discipline you. And so that, you know, he makes you aware of your sin. If those things are true for you, then you can have good confidence to know that you're the elect. But if not, then it's perhaps the case is that, that you need to be saved. And again, if you really want to be saved, well, do people who hate God want to be saved? 
They don't, right? Romans 8 says that the carnal mind, the mind that's set on the flesh, is enmity with God. It doesn't want anything to do with God. But if you really want, you know, you're, if you want God, well, that's because He has shown you that He is desirable and that He is good and He is better than any other thing in this world that you might worship. He created you to worship, to worship Him. Does that make sense? Do you, do you got that? How do you know if you're elect? Do you hear the voice of Christ in the Scriptures? Do you desire Him? Do you want to be near to God? Do you want to live your life in accordance to what God has said? Okay, it's not that, not that complicated, right? That's simple. That's just basic Christianity 101. That's not, you know, the doctrine of election is mysterious. It is, you know, hard to understand. But to know if you're elect is not that hard. That just means, simply means, do you, do you love God? Do you want to be obedient to him? Doesn't mean it's easy. But it really is that simple. And again, that's why I think the doctrine of election is a big contributor to our assurance because it means that you, know, you can never fall away from him. But as he goes on to say in that chapter that uh, no one can take them out of, out of my hand you know, because he's greater than anything in the world and he lays his life down for the sheep. Sound good? All right, that's it. That's all the questions. We empty the box. Yep, it's empty. So maybe we'll do it again, um, maybe come January or so, a couple months. I feel like the last two times we've done this, it's been really excellent. Yeah, you guys have had really good questions. Those are challenging. Like, I wasn't, I want to, I'm going to. I mean, Paul works, what, two days a week? (laughs) All right, guys, let's pray. (laughs) Father in heaven, you are holy and good, and we thank you for this time, and I Pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue to think about deep things, hard things, Lord. Help us to not be infants in your word, but help us to desire to be mature. Help us to be sanctified, all for Christ's glory's sake. In his name we pray. Amen.